Ladies and gentlemen, hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Chris Flannery. Three guests this week. First segment is a conversation with Michael Grange, who covers the Toronto Raptors for Sportsnet Canada, fine columnist and uh, and one of the big voices of the team up there. And Ann Killian, a longtime sports columnist. She is now a sports columnist at San Francisco Chronicle, also worked with me at Sports Illustrated. She specializes in the Golden State Warriors. And we have a really interesting conversation just about how they covered the NBA Finals from their perspectives, what it's like to cover a team that's won for uh, as many years as uh, the team that Ann covers, what it's like to be part of a team that gets to the championship for the first time, the team that Michael covers. We talk about the futures of uh, Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant, and we get their expertise on what they think will happen with them. So if you're a basketball junkie, I think you're going to really enjoy that. Michael Grange and Ann Killian to start. And then it's Mark Feinsand, an MLB.com executive reporter, MLB Network insider. He is the co-author of Mission 27, A New Boss, A New Ballpark, and One Last Ring for the Yankees Core 4. That's a book about the 2009 Yankees. And uh, yeah, we talked to Mark about sort of why he... Um, not just why he wrote that book, but what he found interesting about that team. And then beyond that, how Alex Rodriguez has actually gone from essentially baseball pariah to being one of the voices of Major League Baseball. And what it's like to be a reporter, national reporter today in 2019 and how tough it is. So that's the conversation with Mark. So three guests, Michael Grange, Ann Killian, and Mark Feinsand, all coming up right now on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, and as I said at the top, we bring in Michael Grange, the fine writer, reporter, television personality who covers the Toronto Raptors for Sportsnet of Canada, and Ann Killian, the fine sports columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle who covers the Golden State Warriors and a former colleague of mine in another life at Sports Illustrated. Michael is in Toronto and is somewhere in the beautiful Bay Area. Thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Richard. You got it. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how we'll try to make this as uh, less awkward as possible, given that you guys are separated by three thousand miles. All right, I will. Uh, I will start, um, Michael, with you. This was the first time for you covering the Raptors. Obviously, winning a championship so many of the years uh, had ended by LeBron James, and so just a general overview question. Um, how were things different from you, as specific as you can be, whether it's access, whether it's procedure, whether it's enjoyment? What was different about this run than in the previous years you had covered previous Raptors teams? Well, it, it's, it's, it's definitely different, um, and it gets different by degrees. And I think the biggest single difference is the team you've been covering all year and kind of standing around killing time with, uh, you know, on a Tuesday in Minnesota or wherever you end up being uh, through the regular season and nobody really cares, uh, gradually becomes more important to more people around the NBA. And then, boom, <laughs> the finals hits. And, uh, and this, you know, this team you've been uh, around with, you know, for since training camp and, and, of course, for many seasons is all of a sudden – uh, the property of the entire basketball universe, and it's it's a little daunting. It's a little uh, unusual. I'm sure Anne with Golden State is very used to that now over five years. But and you knew it was going to happen, but that that was a little bit different. And uh, and all of a sudden you're you know you're 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 not. It's not a local issue anymore. It's a national. It's an international issue. 
And that was that that was an adjustment. Even if you knew it was coming, it was an adjustment and uh, took some getting used to for sure. And Ann, so the converse for you, Ann, for the last five years, you've essentially covered the NBA's glamour team, national team. I mean, along with wherever LeBron is playing. And so what is that like? What is it like to cover a team that's not just of interest in your locale, but essentially of interest either nationally or globally? Well, um, as Michael said, it's something that changes by degrees. And um, in, you know, the first year uh, was much as the Raptors. I mean, it was fun to be in Toronto and to see the fans and, and to feel that freshness because there's nothing like the first time. I mean, there really isn't. And I've covered World Series champions and Super Bowl champions, and and there's there's nothing that can be, can compare to that very first championship. And for the for the um, Warriors way back in 2015, it was a little bit different because they kind of skipped a step. You know, they had never lost in the conference finals. They hadn't even been to the conference finals, so they kind of just just you know they skipped up to the finals and won it. Um, unlike the Raptors, they didn't have a big free agent signing that changed the, the dynamic of the team. They were, you know, these kids that were basically homegrown and drafted and, and just had really, um, you know, kind of captured lightning in the bottle. And it was so much joy and so much fun and just so surprising to everyone that they, that they did this, um, it's funny to think back on the Warriors being surprising, right? Um, and then over the course of five years, that joy, while, while they always loved chasing championships and, and being in that position and never took it for granted, I don't think, it definitely changed. It definitely became much more of a, a weight and a burden. And, of course, when Durant signed, suddenly the glamour team was, was – it became something else entirely. I mean, people, journalists were moving to the Bay Area from Washington, D.C., or from L.A., or from New York to <clears throat> cover the Warriors full-time on a national scale. And I'd never really even, I'd never seen that before in other sports. It gave me an idea of just when you're big in the NBA, you're kind of bigger than almost anything else. Because um, nobody does that, you know, for an NFL team or, or even for a baseball team. Um, so it was, you know, this 24-7 kind of coverage. Everything you did was so intense. Um, the beauty of the Warriors is that, at least from a media perspective, is that they never changed the way they operated, the way they um, handled the local media, all of that. Um, in fact, they've never changed from when they were one of the worst teams in the NBA to when they became the best team in the NBA. They've got a really terrific PR staff that just kind of gets it. And so for lo with some teams, I think it would be really hard on the local media. We would have been pushed out. But um, the Warriors did a really good job of not allowing that to happen. It was just every media session was a lot more crowded than it used to be. And I want to stick with you, and I think you sort of hit on this a little bit. The Warriors have a reputation in the NBA of being incredibly press-friendly. Their PR staff wins essentially like the best PR staff is voted by writers every year. They have Steph Curry, who's not just a superstar, but one of the most media-friendly superstars in any sport. But I wonder what has been the most challenging thing to for you over the last couple of years. And my sense might just be that there's just more people around, so access is 
is not as great where maybe five years ago you, your ability to get one-on-ones would be easier than they are five years later, or is it something else? Yeah, I think that um, the um, the challenge was probably to find something to write that had not been written and, um, and analyzed to death and to also not get caught up in the swirl of speculation that's coming out of Yahoo Sports or ESPN or, or, and, and, you know, a lot of these guys were so big that they had their own um, kind of mouthpieces that they always went to. And not many of those were local. Um, They were more national. So the players got a little bit more savvy about who they would, they would um, say whatever they were going to say to, Um, you know, there was some people would go after their, main press availability, they'd go directly to, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, all of us who cover the NBA know who they are, XYZ reporter, and they'd whisper a little bit, and then later on there'd be a story. So I think that's the biggest issue, but I will say again that um, the Warriors are unusual, and not only is their PR staff great, but as you mentioned, they have a player who has set the tone for this organization um, from the moment he got here, and it's not just about distributing the ball and um, including everyone on the court, but it's also about not being a huge ego off the court, not um, not walling himself off. Not He's the one guy who really doesn't um, – well, I mean, he has a couple guys he goes to, but Steph Curry is accessible. He's um, He really hasn't changed, which is kind of astonishing from the – goofy kid who got drafted 10 years ago Tuesday uh, out of Davidson. I mean, on this year, I remember sitting down with him um, on game day after a shoot-around. You know, superstars don't do many one-on-ones, and they never do them on game day. And we were talking about his whole um, gender equity push that, with Under Armour and with his basketball camps. He he said, yeah, I got 10 minutes for you. We talked for like 25, 30 minutes on a game day. Like that doesn't happen in real life for reporters. So I think Steph, um, just ha- getting to deal with Steph made everything much easier for uh, the, the, the swirl, the craziness surrounding the team in terms of media. Um, some of it was taken away by Steph being such a normal human being. Hmm. Michael, I want to um, I want to turn to you on this issue. The um, did you find that as the season went on and as that as more attention was coming to the Raptors, they obviously have a transcendent player in Kawhi Leonard, so there's interest in him, even if he's not going to do a ton of one on ones. Did you find uh, someone in your position was was access tougher? Did sources dry up a little bit? Was the year more challenging as the Raptors team moved on in the postseason? I guess I would uh, cop out a little bit and say yes and no. Um, I think in general, as the year went along, uh, you know, the demands, the time the players had available, you know, and and the staff had available just naturally diminished a little bit. So, I mean, it's just a different animal than when you're covering a team that's, you know, that's barely making the playoffs or, or not at all. I mean, it's just a fact of life. 
Um, but I would commend, uh, you know, my experience with the Raptors PR staff, which has had a little bit of turnover in the past year, as you may know. But but as you know, Jim Lombard was there forever, and and kind of probably alongside Ray Ritter is kind of almost the gold standard for the league from a media point of view <laughs> in terms of uh, being easy to deal with and 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 getting it and helpful and all those kinds of things. And the staff that kind of that remains in place and that and as uh, and Jennifer Quinn, who's taken over from Jim. Uh, has is mostly maintained that tradition, and uh, it's been you know a good team to work or work with. I would say uh, the flip side of that is you know it all is a little bit dependent on the, the character of the players on the team and the nature and all of that. And you know if you take Steph Curry and Kyle Lowry, very different personalities. I think in the end they more or less get to the same place. I think they're great people and and uh, really have a lot. Um, going on and off the floor that's uh, obviously on the floor is commendable, but off the floor too. But Kyle's a different personality than Steph Curry. So he's a little, you know, he's a little more prickly. He's at times had uh, definitely some battles. They kind of almost like in a serial fashion. It seems like he's always, he's always over his ears here. had had somebody kind of in his crosshairs for a few months or, or, or so, but uh, they always get resolved. And, and, uh, and so there's not quite the same, um, you know, Kyle's, but that said, Kyle is really good. And, and, but you just got to be smart about when you're, you're going to look for those opportunities and you got to be patient. And about when you, when you do, they're, they're also, uh, they're valuable. But Kyle's also a guy who's really attuned to the national media and, and understanding, you know, when they're in town and, and what their demands might be and, and all of that. So it's, it's, a, it feels like a tricky balance at times trying to, um, you know, make sure that you're providing and getting access or getting access and providing stories and insights that are, you know, valuable and a little bit unique within your own market when, you know, when, as I say, that your, your team suddenly become a national story. Um, but I would say overall, you know, it was, it's been a really good year for that. And, you know, you're, you're, there's, it's been an interesting, again, it, it's a function of your, of, the team you have with you too, like Kawhi Leonard, you know, amazingly to me, like through the year, like he came, he came here with, you know, a reputation as not being very press friendly. And there was a lot of trepidation about, um, you know, what it would be like dealing with him, you know, <laughs> like DeMar DeRozan was as, as excessive. He's very much in the Steph Curry mold. Like you couldn't have a guy who's more easy and comfortable to deal with. Um, and then Kawhi arrives, you're, you're pretty uncertain about how it's all going to go. It went a lot better than I think most people expected. And But what was really interesting was when he got on the stage at the Eastern Conference Finals and definitely in the finals, and all of a sudden he's on those podiums and, and you know, the, the questions are coming from all directions. I thought he was, you know, I learned a ton about Kawhi Leonard. Like I was always kicking myself. Going, Man, why wasn't I pursuing this during the season? Well, the answer was, you know, he was uh, one-on-ones were very difficult to get with him. Um, he kind of spoke on a very, I would say, limited basis. You know, he, he fulfilled his obligations, but he certainly wasn't um, somebody that, that was, you know, routinely available. Um, you know, but, but there's a case where, you know, having the, the final stage and, and the obligations that come with that, um, you know, he really became, you know, was he was delivering stuff that, that you hadn't been able really to access all year. So it, it goes both ways, I guess. 
Hmm. Michael, I'm glad you uh, you added that because my next question for you was going to be about what, what are the challenges of covering Kawhi Leonard. You sort of hit on that. So, Anne, that leads me to you. You obviously have one sort of side of the coin in Steph Curry. Uh, <laughs> what are the challenges in covering Kevin Durant as either a columnist or a beat writer for the Warriors? Um, well, first of all, I'd just like to say that I totally agree with Michael because I came, uh, you know, to cover the finals and, you know, there's all this talk about Kawhi, especially in the last couple of years since he broke with the Spurs. And I, I found his press conferences must, uh, must watch, um, just really interesting. Like I, in this world that we live in, people who don't like go out of their way to be, you know, grab the spotlight are sometimes seen as weird and Kawhi does not want the spotlight but I found him very comfortable in it and answering questions. I just, he's refreshing in that he's so uh, just honest and laid back. And, you know, people would try and ask him, like, how did you feel? And he would say things like, I just wanted to win the game. You know, I mean, that's, that's who he really is. So I thought Kawhi was a blast during the, during the uh, finals. Um, yeah, there are a lot of challenges in covering Kevin Durant. When Kevin Durant arrived, he was considered one of the most um, accessible and, and, and good to deal with uh, players. You know, that was a, his reputation for the most part in Oklahoma City, though he would pick occasional battles with the local press. But on a national level, he had a great reputation. And he, when he came, um, I got to know him a little bit that summer because I covered him in um, Rio at the Olympics. And, um, you know, I think he's, I, I think he's, good he's smart he's interesting his first the first playoffs um he was very accessible and just as his demeanor kind of with the team changed a little bit his demeanor with the press totally changed and um you know he got very um closed off and defensive about questions about free agency um you know which was kind of baffling because he's gone through this before he knows what the deal is. It's magnified now by, you know, a multitude because he's a two-time finals MVP, because he had chosen to come to the Warriors, because he's been in the spotlight for these recent years. So the fact that he was so angry, apparently, about these questions about the looming free agency just seemed um, naive or dishonest. Um, you know, when he yelled at Ethan Strauss to grow up uh, in the middle of a press conference, you know, you got to know that's going to go viral and just going to be part of your legacy forever. So um, he became more difficult. So as a columnist, um, less as a reporter, because I kind of gave up trying to, like, pull any insight out of him firsthand. I, it was very interesting as a columnist just to observe him, to observe the dynamic, to observe... Um, just kind of what, what was going on with the team. Um, you know, a, a lot of people did that. I didn't do it as much as others. Some people would stand around the locker room to kind of watch uh, pregame what the dynamic was in the team. I don't, I don't really like to do stuff like that. Um, if I don't need to be in there, I'm not going to be in there. But um, he was, he's definitely a different cat, and it's really interesting to watch how he handles uh his fame and it's going to be fascinating to see what, what goes, what happens next, but he, he's definitely a challenge. And, um, and any, you know, there's a lot of talk about it was the Warriors and Kevin Durant, which he hated and 
the Warriors kind of hated. But part of that was because those original guys, the original three, Draymond, Clay, and Steph, are really accessible. And, and they've always been very comfortable in the spotlight and, and, um, and answering questions and just kind of handling the media in a pretty relaxed fashion. So in that way, Durant, that was another way that Durant kind of stood apart in that it became more of a strained relationship. Michael, um, in getting a chance to see the Warriors up close over the six-game stretch, and obviously it was more days, uh, what Warrior surprised you or Warrior surprised you as a media person? And that can be either positive or negative. Well, I guess um, what I would say is is I'd had a chance to be around them a little bit in the past. And uh, when the the NBA All-Star game was in Toronto in 2016, uh, you know, Ray Ritter helped us uh, set up a – we flew out to San Francisco, did a one-on-one with with Steph, and uh, it turned into – it was part of a – like a – probably an eight or 10 minute documentary we did on his kind of lost years. And in, in Toronto, we called them and Steph was, a, Steph was amazing. And, uh, and, and so, I, you know, I'd made some observations when I was around that team at that point. And one of them was, and remind me of the old Bulls teams, you know, when they would roll in, especially that second generation three P and they roll into town and they were just this locker room full of like really smart, confident, mature uh, athletes, you know, who, who would have been that way in any form, form, except they happened also to be NBA stars. Like, and, and, I, and I kind of almost came to this conclusion that this is almost a prerequisite to be uh, a championship team. You just have to have a room of people of this level of intelligence, confidence, maturity, communication skills to, to get there. And, um, and so I guess the short answer is not that much surprised me being around them again this time around, although it was, I would say Draymond Green, I guess, to see him in flesh uh, day in, day out and, uh, just kind of let it fly, man, just, just a total ease, um, in the spotlight and almost, uh, you know, a, a, you know, zero fear in terms of what he's willing to throw out there and, and uh, and the confidence with and the insight, the intelligence, you know, with which you know he'd correct reporters, he'd he'd turn things on their head, and um, in a very interesting, entertaining way. I mean, he was always, he's super impressive to see day in day out. And then I'll also give a shout out to Sean Livingston, who is a guy I've almost got to know because I've covered him in the finals now, and uh, you know covered him when he was with Brooklyn and and playing the Raptors in the playoffs kind of an undersung unsung guy in a way but if you're looking for someone in the nba to deliver some insight about the game and people in the game um you know sean living has got to be at the top of your list and and andrew bogut was always way up there too um obviously not, not as much attention now as his role is not the same but but i mean that that'd be my overall takeaway from that dynasty and and it's got to be a thrill in a way i'm sure to be around that group for five years uh because there just seems to be, you know, Kavon and Looney, like they just seem to have a group of people who are, you know, got things to say, comfortable to say it, and uh, don't make you feel uh, somehow lesser than for asking it. So, uh, so it's 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 a great experience. And if they somehow end up falling from the NBA stage, the league will be diminished because uh, 
I think they've been they've been great for the sport. All right, and was there anybody from the um, from the Raptor side that you had a chance, obviously, to see over this you know twelve thirteen day stretch where you're like, wow, I haven't interacted with that player a lot, but that's a really interesting quote to me. And again, not to answer for you, but if I had not seen, let's say, like Fred VanVleet um, prior to uh, you know seeing him all year, that's a guy who would strike me as a media person, like wow, really thoughtful interesting did not know that about the guy because i didn't cover him but maybe you had some other people well um i would say right from from the the start of the um series from our first media day i was just like wow these guys are great they're interesting um i I mean a couple of them you know i knew about of course i i knew about Kawhi, but i felt like i got to know a way more about him in this um in this playoff series um i knew about gasol um felt like i got to know more about him yeah van vliet um siakam but the one who really um impressed me and who i didn't really know even though i had covered him at the olympics but he was kind of far down on the star chart was kyle lowry and just i mean a lot of it goes back to the way he handled that really ugly and unfortunate incident with um the uh you know the minority idiot owner of the uh, of the Warriors, but just um, in general, I just thought his answers, the way he was with that kid, um, just everything about him was um, smart and on point and and great to listen to and and just I, what I really liked about both these teams in the spotlight was their respect for each other. You know, having dealt with Cleveland in the uh, for the last four years. Just kind of this series had a very different feel in terms of the respect factor, the lack of bravado and trash talking. And I like LeBron. I mean, I think he's really great for the league. I think he does amazing things off the court. But, you know, when you're in a press situation, it has to be all about LeBron. And it was very refreshing to have a full team with really interesting personalities who, um, you know, you kind of got to see the whole dynamic of the team in the Raptors and I think you get to see that as well it with the with the um with the Warriors and I would agree with Michael like it's always I mean I feel like I know him really well but it's super fun to see other people who have this opinion of Draymond Green really and I'm not saying that you guys had any preconceived notion but a lot of people have a preconceived notion about Draymond and then when they deal with him day in, day out during a finals run, they're like, wow, that guy is different than what I thought. He's so smart. He's so on point. Um, so that's always fun. It's always fun to see the other media dealing with the guys that you feel like you know pretty well and seeing uh, what their opinions are. All right, last one, Ann, and then we'll let you go, and I'll finish up with Michael. Um, if you had to sort of handicap it today, and this is, we're taping this on June 19th, uh, what do you expect Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant to do regarding their free agency? Well, Clay's coming back. I mean, there's no, there's, I mean, they can't open the Chase Center without Clay. I mean, that's another thing. I don't know if, if that came through as much to the, the uh, visiting, I mean, to the other media or um, big stage, but Clay is the stealth favorite of every human being who both covers the team and all the fans because he is just, um, you know, he has these, these quotes that are just like flat out hilarious, even though he doesn't mean them to be, he's just, you know, just the fact of like, he said to 
Steve Kerr. I'll be back in two minutes after he tore his ACL. That's like the most Clay thing ever. Um, so Clay will be back. They will offer him the max contract. He'll probably be, uh, I would imagine, back on the court by March. Um, and, you know, he has a much less serious injury, though it's a serious injury, not, not, it's not as severe uh, to return. Um, when, when Durant first hurt himself with the Achilles, when he first tore the Achilles, um, I thought in that little window of a 48 hours, I thought, gosh, maybe this means he will be back. He'll take that, that player option to rehab and, um, and let him, you know, in a comfortable place surrounded by people who care about him and then see what happens. But I don't know. You know, he's got his whole team. He's been in New York ever since, you know, the thing ended. So he's already kind of removed himself. Um, I, I think he's probably going to go out and look for the max contract that um, I think it puts a lot of pressure on him if he goes to a different team because how do you be the face of a, of a franchise and tie up all that money and not even be able to contribute for until, you know, slim odds you make a playoff roster uh, at the very end of the year? I mean, I think that's that's a lot of pressure. It puts him, you know, for a guy who – struggles at times with with the pressure of the position he's in I think that that that's going to be a real challenge for him but I I guess what I'm saying is I I think Durant I've always thought Durant was going to leave and I guess I'm back to thinking he is going to leave all right and Killian is the fine sports columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle covers all the Bay Area teams Obviously, if you've read her, she's done a ton of stuff on the Warriors. All right, Anne, I'm going to let you go. I know you have busy things to do. I'm going to keep Michael on the line. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again at some point. All right, great to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank All right, you. see you, Anne. All right. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Michael, stay on, Michael. Finishing up with the closer here. Um... So, in the same uh, question, Michael, I realize, you know, you only get this question in Toronto, you know, 74 times a day, and it's probably <laughs> going to change. But we're now, we, me and you are talking a couple days after the parade, um, where, you know, I mean, one of the most incredible things in the city of Toronto, the city we both live in, and Kawhi Leonard could not have been showered with more public love. Um, and now, obviously, reality sets in with the free agency decision that he has coming up. It seems clear that it looks like a two-team race between the Clippers and the and the Raptors, but you never, you know, you never really know until these guys sort of their repre- representatives and them start talking to people. But what do you anticipate? If you had to take your best guess today, what do you anticipate will happen with Kawhi over the next couple weeks? Well, um, I think. And I'm not giving odds, but if I had to pick only one, I would say I think it's a little more likely than not he returns to Toronto. And uh, and I've also, I've always thought it was a strong possibility. Uh, one is you know they can't offer him significantly more money, and unlike a Kevin Durant or a uh, LeBron James, it's not like he's got like 300 million dollars in off-court earnings. 
So for a guy who's at times had to worry about his health, I think, uh, you know, I walked away from a lot of money in, in San Antonio. I think, I think locking out the five years, 190 would may always made sense to me. And I think he's had an incredible experience here. Um, he sort of said as much. And they have an excellent chance to win again, um, you know, the way the team is set up. So I think, if you know, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of boxes to check that are knowns. And, you know, you, the, I, I can understand why the Clippers, uh, you know, would be a really, really intriguing opportunity, but it's not one that's going to go away. And, uh, you know, so I think I, I could see Kawhi returning and, and maybe it's, you know, it's a five-year deal with a wink that, listen, if uh, things change and we want to move on from this or you want to move on from this, we'll, you know, we'll work with you. Um, so if I had to pick one, I would say I would say Mark Y in Toronto. All right, two, two more off that, Mike, and I'll let you go. Um, we've heard, like, recently, and again, these are all, probably a lot of this speculation comes from just uh, NBA people opining on television or a podcast, and then it gets picked up on social media. But um, have you uh, heard anything concrete about the potential to do one of these one-year uh, deals plus a player option, so that Kawhi Leonard would get to ten years in the league? I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard anything concrete on that. Uh, I've heard the same things you have heard. I understand why um, it would, uh, you know, give him maximum flexibility and uh, and get you to that ten year, and then you can do your five-year five-year deal at 35% of the cap. I mean, it's, there's, there's money to be had there. Um, I, I, I've always just wondered a little bit, again, goes back to one, he's nearly lost a full season already in his career due to health issues. And two, um, you know, the players who are, you know, kind of opting for that kind of flexibility have massive off-court uh, interests. And uh, and even though Kawhi, like, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything I've seen about him that suggests that you know he's he's an empire builder financially. Um, you know, at some point, you know, maybe common sense kicks in a little bit, and 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 that becomes a factor. But to my previous point, where if he's trying to you know maximize his opportunity to win another title next season, and still maintain the flexibility to uh, find a new address, um, maybe at that point. The one plus one, I mean, that's that's the perfect instrument. It really is because it combines, uh, you know, it combines certainty with a little bit of, with a lot of flexibility. Um, and again, if he's got an app, a little bit of an appetite for risk in terms of, you know, obviously he knows his body better than anyone else. Um, so if he's confident that that you know he's not going to have any setbacks that could affect his 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 market value. And I guess watching how to play and maybe KD navigate this summer where, you know, a season-ending injury doesn't seem to be affecting any of their market value, maybe that's another a reason he might want to take that risk, that even if something does go wrong next year, that uh, he would still be in high demand uh, going forward. So so I think, uh, short answer, don't have anything concrete, but um, I can certainly understand the argument. So, And then the last one for me is this, Michael. Um, how do you evaluate Kawhi Leonard? Um, and sort of his camp, whatever that means, you know, his uncle is his agent. I don't. It's been a long time since I've seen a player at his level, essentially very, almost no leaks out of a camp, or whenever like he's being reported on. Again, it it's just the speculation does not feel nearly as concrete 
as it did with LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook. Um, and I just want to get your observations because obviously you're somebody who wants that reporting and, and wants that sourcing. But I've never seen a guy at his level again. There's only a few players at his level where there's you got, you've essentially gone the whole year and nothing has really leaked of substance uh, outside of these hints as to, you know, there's a couple of teams in the mix. Yeah, I think it's been uh, full marks to him, you know, and, and I think a lot of what's gone on this year in Toronto has sort of been almost a 180 from what expectations might have been uh, when he was coming out of San Antonio, because last year there did seem to be uh, some leaks, yep. and there did seem to be a lot of that kind of whispery stuff going on, and, um, you know, just the fact that it was Kawhi Leonard divorcing himself from the Spurs, I mean, that created a whole set of uh, expectations based on what we've always understood about the Spurs. And all of those things, to my mind, have been reversed. I mean, he's been a model citizen as a Raptor. Um, literally, from the first moment he, he, he got, he, you know, he, he introduced himself to the to the public anyway, but also how he interacted with the franchise in the offseason. And, uh, you know, Uncle Dennis has been around, but he's been very kind of light on his feet. Like, there's never been you know, he's a friendly guy, like, but there's, you know, there's never been a, a, a sense from him that he's out arm twisting and trying to kind of uh, do the kind of stuff you might expect for a player in his situation. Um, and then, they, as you point out, the camp generally has been very quiet. And I think they've taken their cue from Kawhi Leonard. I mean, my best story, I mean, we gave up asking him about the future stuff uh, pretty early in the season because he was just sort of, not rudely, but he would bat it aside. Like, it was just not going to be entertained. And then I recall being in uh, in a visitor's room at Madison Square Garden, and, you know, you had that lineup of, of you know, the, the predictable, uh, you know, the, the likely suspects of the New York media just trying to, as they do, try to turn it into a Knicks-type story. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch, right? Like, you give full marks for the effort all the time, and they're good at it. Um, and, again, it was, uh, no, we're not, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> you know, I am not talking about it. And and as a result, I mean, it was a big reason the Raptors, I think, have been, you know, one is because, you know, once this team kind of were able to see with their own eyes that he was committed to this season fully and it wasn't simply passing through and wasn't kind of begrudging being here and was ready to win now, I think it really built a lot of momentum. And so that's kind of like a subtle element in this whole championship that probably doesn't get quite enough credit is the way he's managed it. But, uh, but to your point, um, yeah, I mean, you look at the profile of the average or most superstars in this league and as they head into free agency, there's always a lot of noise. And in Kawhi Leonard's case, it's been, uh, it's, there's been anything but, and, and, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's reflects his personality, reflects his awareness, reflects his strategy. And, uh, and it's been successful. Michael Grange is uh, one of the... Uh, I'm not even sure, Michael, if you have a title. Is your t- What is your title exactly? Your columnist? I am a, 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 a an on-air broadcaster? With, uh, a columnist with Sportsnet.ca and, uh, you know, obviously... Yeah, so that, that's my col- title, col- columnist. Um, and then I do a lot of radio and a lot of TV. And, and I actually am... Technically, not supposed to be attached to the Raptors, but just uh, over the years, it just it's become it's become a full time beat, and so I've become 
happy to uh, to take it on pretty much full time. Yeah, and we, and we need a bigger word than columnist, given all your different uh, multimedia uh, assignments. Uh, my agent, uh, your agent and me will work on this, Mike. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyways, Richard, I, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was very enjoyable. Yeah, you're right. Well, let me let me let me kick you out here with an actual uh, an actual real professional out. So Michael Grange uh, okay. has worked for Sportsnet since 2011. He's obviously a colleague of mine. Um, appears all over uh, Sportsnet's properties, from television to radio uh, to their website. That's Sportsnet.ca for those of you in the states. Does an incredible job covering the Raptors. I've, I've loved reading his his stuff and listening to his stuff all year and uh, an absolute invaluable source on this team. Mike, thanks so much for giving me a little bit of time today. I'm sure I will see you around the office and, uh, and hopefully at least you get a little bit of rest over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for joining me today on the sports media podcast. My pleasure, Richard. It was really fun. Thank you. All right. As I said at the top, we now bring in Mark Feinsand, who is an MLB.com uh, executive reporter. I think that's his title national reporter, MLB Network Insider, and he is the co-author with Brian Hawk of Mission 27, A New Boss, A New Ballpark, and One Last Ring for the Yankees Core 4. That book came out earlier this month, and it's on the Yankees uh, 2009 World Series. And Mark Feinsand joins me today on the Sports Media Podcast. How are you, Mark? I'm good, Richard. How are you? I'm good. So here's my question for you. Um, I'm actually kind of fascinated by this. I really wanted to talk to you about this. You have a book that's about the New York Yankees, obviously a national team um, and about a World Series, obviously a national thing. That said, it it seems like to me it it must be a challenge to get people interested in this book outside of New York or outside of the Yankee base. So how do you – one, how do you do that? And two, is that part of your calculation when you're writing this book? Yeah, obviously you know that you're targeting the Yankee fan base uh, with this kind of book, but the Yankees are one of those teams, the Cowboys, the Lakers, uh, you know, that has that national appeal. So, you know, I think you look at it and say, you know, certainly there are areas outside of the tri-state area that you think will be interested. Florida, a lot of New Yorkers down in Florida. Uh, You know, the Yankees have their their spring base in Tampa. A couple of uh, minor league markets that we're going to go promote it to as well. But, yeah, I think you look at it and say, you know, obviously in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, that, that's sort of your, uh, your target audience. And, you know, you look at some of the other books that have come out uh, this spring. You know, Bob Klappish wrote a book called Inside the Empire, which was Yankee-based, which, which same kind of thing, did very well. David Cohn's book. So you've got some, some Yankees-centric uh, books all coming out at the same time. But fortunately for this fan base, they're, they're voracious and they can't, they can't get enough of it. So in terms of like approaching uh, the subject matter, were you drawn to the fact that um, if you look at the roster of this team, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Robinson Cano, uh, Andy Pettit, Jose Posada, Alex Rodriguez, CeCe Sabathia, Nick Swisher, Mark Teixeira, a lot, I mean, a lot of national guys on this team. Um, and that, you know, and again, if you, um, if you were, I guess we're going to approach this with a book editor, um, you know, if you can get the reporting, it seems to me that there's probably a lot of interesting stories just given the star of the of the players who were on this particular roster. 
Yeah, it was it was a star pack roster for sure. Uh, you know, both Brian and I were beat writers on that team, so we were around you know pretty much every day from the beginning of spring training right through the parade, uh, and so we had you know relationships with a lot of these guys where they gave us really good access, starting with Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi, all the way down through you know pretty much the entire roster. We got almost every uh, pretty much every major player from that team. Uh, you know, to sit down with us, whether it was on the phone or in person. And like you said, there are big names. Alex Rodriguez, he's, you know, even, big names who are even relevant now. You know, Sabathia and Brett right. Gardner are still playing for the Yankees. A-Rod's on ESPN. Teixeira's on ESPN. Uh, you know, Robinson Hiddles with the Mets. Mariano Rivera's going into the Hall of Fame this summer. Uh, so, you know, there were, there were big names, and we were able to unearth some, you know, some fun stories and stuff that wasn't, uh, covered during that season as well as well as we thought we covered the team uh turns out there was there was still some more to un, to uncover from the the o nine yankees and for the people listening uh the Yankees beat the Phillies in that year uh four two in the uh world series jeter uh jeter sat down with you that's actually kind was, of interesting. Uh, that's not doesn't strike me as a guy who's <laughs> so easy to get almost everybody so he's the one guy who didn't sit down he was the one guy that didn't sit down with us and uh you know he's got a lot going on down in miami and i you know i i guess he's trying to kind of separate uh from the yankee thing a little bit but um you know like i said we both covered the team so we had all of our notes and quotes and anecdotes from that season from derek so derek is well represented in the book but he was the only one we didn't get in terms of uh you know 10 years later right well derek and company are busy trading away great players uh to to other teams so i can understand how busy uh, derek is at the moment <laughs> um the uh how you you mentioned that you and brian covered the yankees for a long time um is it different covering the yankees versus other baseball teams and if so how so i think the biggest difference is just the sheer number of competitors you have uh even in other big markets the newspapers have dwindled so you know big market like la maybe the dodgers have four or five traveling beat writers uh you know chicago there might be three four traveling beat writers including mlb.com and the papers uh in new york we had 11 traveling beat writers uh, or reporters, I should say, Sweeney Murdy from WFAN wow. being counted among those. So, you know, you're competing with, you know, almost a dozen people every single day trying to get that story, trying to be the first one. And you know, this is the number one media market, so it's not like you're competing against kids who are a year out of college. You're competing against some of the best beat writers in the country uh, on one beat. So I think that's the biggest difference uh, you know, between between covering the Yankees and covering any other team is just, you know, the size of the New York market and the popularity of the Yankees. They're the number one beat at almost every one of the outlets that covers them. I, I, I wonder, Mark, uh, how is it for you to see Alex Rodriguez now as a national media voice in baseball? He's, um, he's the analyst, lead analyst on Sunday Night Baseball. He's on the Fox studio show. Uh, he has... To his credit, I think at least in many baseball fans' minds, rehabbed his image, which was essentially one of, I think, the worst images that a player had um, during uh, his sort of the, the sort of the PED stuff. Um, is it, as someone who covered him as a player and was around him on a day-to-day basis, uh, I, I want to make it open-ended. Like, are you surprised? Are you not surprised? Like, are to me, it's surreal given where he is today versus where he was, let's say, in 2012. I wonder how you see it. It's fascinating, honestly. I mean, you, you think about the year he missed 
2014, and, and the fact that before that he was suing the league and suing the union and suing the Yankees, and uh, it seemed like you know the scorched earth, uh, scorched earth take he was going with uh, was going to just make him a pariah. And that was once once he was once the Yankees were rid of his contract, you'd never see him again. And now, he's, like you said, he's he's the television face of baseball. Um, I, I think you have to give Alex some credit for. Uh, sort of having his eyes open by the suspension year. Uh, I think he realized that his life was headed in his very bad place professionally, uh, both on the field and for post-career. Uh, and I think you have to give him credit for finally, I guess, trusting some people in his inner circle and listening to them, because for a long time, uh, especially when I was covering him as a player, it seemed like every year there was a new voice he was listening to, a new publicist, a new you know, confidant, whoever it was, and he was getting some bad advice, and it was sort of whatever advice he wanted to listen to was the one he was following, whether it was the right one or not. Uh, Ron Berkowitz, who has a lot of big-time clients and uh, has had Alex as a client for a while, I think really helped get Alex's mind straight and, and sort of focused on where he needed to go. So I give him a lot of credit for sort of not only helping Alex, but Alex credit for finally finding somebody who uh, could help him rehab that image. Like you said, it, it's a complete 180 turnaround. It's, it's maybe the biggest turnaround we've ever seen in sports from a guy go from universally despised villain to, uh, you know, television face of his sport. But one of the things, though, I, I don't actually, Mark, I, I very much might have talked to you when this happened. Um, I certainly, I remember talking to a couple of Yankees beat people. But the fact that he's good, the fact that he's, he, he's a, a quality communicator of baseball strategy, baseball observation, was no surprise to Yankee beat writers, right? Because I think you guys, at least in Alex's better moments, he was like a baseball nerd. He would talk about all this stuff. Is, it, am I, is my assessment correct on that? that a hundred percent, Richard. I, yeah. it, it, he okay. is as big a baseball nerd as I, maybe I've ever met. And, you know, unfortunately for him, or really unfortunately for us, I guess, there was always so much drama circling around him and always so much nonsense that you had to cut through when you were talking to him. But on the rare moments where he would just talk baseball, I, the one best uh, situation I can remember, we were in Chicago, and it was, it was when the MLB draft was going on, and the Yankees drafted Andrew Brackman, who was a big right-handed six foot ten pitcher out of North Carolina State. And when Alex heard that the Yankees drafted him, he started glowing and lighting up and talking about this guy. He had seen him play in college, and he remembered him, and he started giving us a scouting report on this guy that, you know, the scouts who watched him probably weren't this thorough on the scouting report. And I said, Alex, how do you remember this? He goes, guys like that just stand out. You can't forget them, blah, 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 blah. And we walked away, and I said to a couple of the other big guys, don't you wish he was like this all the time, where he was just great and free and loose and easy but the problem was that when you were talking to him about you know all of the the garbage and the noise that was going on around him he would kind of either go cliche or just clam up or uh you know go with some pre-produced script that he was going to say in his head uh but when he would just talk baseball he was great mark uh how how would you evaluate where baseball reporting access etc is in 2019 versus, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years ago when you were sort of just first starting out? You know, I think access has actually stayed roughly the same. You know, we're in the clubhouse pregame. We're in the clubhouse postgame. Uh, you can get guys on the field during batting practice. Uh, you know, they've cut little things here and there, like you don't go back in after batting practice, but that was a wasted amount of time anyway. So uh, I think the baseball PR people in the league, they, they understand that the writers and the, and the reporters need their access to the players. It's not as... 
uh, hard and fast in terms of uh, access like you see in football where you get the quarterback on this day and, you know, the star player talks on this day. Um, you know, I covered Derek Jeter for 14 years, and, and you could get him into the locker any day you wanted to. Uh, there was no restrictions on that. So I think the access is good. The reporting is as good as it's ever been because I think, um, you know, the, the people who are reporting it are as good as they've ever been. Uh, there are certainly people who I love reading every day, and I look forward to when they write. There are competitors of mine who I sit here and curse and throw things at the wall because they're so good. Um, and so I think the quality that's out there is great. I wish more people were reading because I think that's where the, uh, you know, the struggle is and when you see papers start closing and then laying off people, et cetera. Um, but I think the quality of what's out there is as good as we've ever seen. One of the things that strikes me in reading a lot of baseball reporters, and obviously I work with uh, many of them at The Athletic, is it feels like the importance of um, agents and uh, and those associated with age- agents has never been bigger, especially if you want to be a, like a transaction reporter or somebody who breaks those kind of um, that kind of news. W- would you say that is the case? And if you are a national baseball person such as yourself, do you have to have relationships with agents, or are there other avenues to do? Whether it's you know front office people, players, et cetera. There are other avenues, but agents are certainly a, a big part of it. Um, you know, the, the front offices are so tight now for the most part, you know, as the analytics have crept in and you've gotten a lot of different types of executives, uh, they, don't need, they don't think they need the media. They don't need to start, you know, negotiating through the media. So it, it really doesn't, um, I won't say it doesn't pay to reach out to them because you still talk to people all the time, but you're not necessarily going to get the information uh, that that you might have from an executive 10, 20 years ago, the agents, on the other hand, all have an agenda, and you have to understand that. So if an agent's going to you know, call you and say, hey, uh, this, 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 and this, you should go with it, you have to start thinking to yourself, well, what's the angle this agent's trying to play? What's the long game he's trying to play? Uh, so you, know, you, you can't let yourself just get used by agents either, and you see plenty of that out there when you see some stories and you just know where they came from. Um, but you know, we've seen this this winter especially, you know, I don't know if the agent was the one who leaked it, but whoever leaked out that Craig Kimbrell was looking for six years and $100-plus million, that hurt Craig Kimbrell's market. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if what happened with Kimbrell and what happened with Keiko this year impacts the way agents uh, sort of try to distribute information and put information out there as well. Last one for me, Mark, and that is uh, you, you began in this business as a, as a traditional writer, uh, you know, working for newspapers, uh, print responsibilities, probably print responsibilities that eventually went to digital. You now do a lot of television. And I'm wondering, there's a lot of young people, obviously, who listen to this podcast. What are the things you learned um, that helped you transition to be um, at least someone who these networks call on for expertise? What, what, what did you learn about doing television, which was not something you initially went into the business doing? Well, interestingly, I was actually a broadcast journalism major at Boston University, yeah. so that was where I Didn't wanted I that. to. Okay. That's where I wanted to go. Uh, I ended up because broadcast jobs were hard to find in 1996. Uh, I started writing, um, you know, Sports Business Daily and FoxSports.com, and eventually made my way into the baseball world. And uh, you know, I just think the more you do it, I, the thing I've learned over the years is that the more you do it, the better you get at it. I look at some clips of, of stuff I did back in 2001, 2002. And I, I look at it and I start cr- criticizing myself of, oh, I was so stiff, or I said, you know a lot, or I stumbled over these words. And I just think for, for young people who want to get into this business, uh, first of all, the versatility is huge because there's no such thing as just being a writer anymore. Even when I was at the Daily News, 
you had a podcast, you had to do video for the site, um, you know, you had to go do their TV show on SNY, whatever it may have been, there is, there's almost no such thing as just being a writer exclusively anymore. Uh, so the more versatile you can be, uh, the better. And I just think the more practice you get at anything, radio, TV, podcast, whatever it may be, uh, the better you will get at it. So, you know, do I think I'm, I'm still picture perfect on TV? No, I still think there are days where I'll walk off a set and be like, God, I totally botched that. Uh, but I certainly think I'm better now than I was 5, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, good advice from Mark Feinsand, an MLB.com executive reporter, MLB Network Insider, and he is the co-author of Mission 27, A New Boss, A New Ballpark, and One Last Ring for the Yankees Core 4. You can go to Mark's website for that. Mark, I'm assuming this is on Amazon.com if I type that title in. I can buy this uh, book. Yes, Amazon. Actually, they ran out of books, but there's a new shipment on the way, and they'll be there very shortly. All right, support the Fine Sand Kids College Fund. Please check that uh, check that book out. All right, Mark, good of you to come on and uh, continued success. And uh, those of us who follow baseball, of course, will be following you and uh, and reading you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. Big fan of the podcast. Appreciate sure you having me on. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, my three guests for an interesting conversation. If you like this kind of stuff. The podcast prior to this one is Taylor Twelman, the ESPN soccer analyst. Before that, James Andrew Miller on uh, ESPN. Jen Hildreth, who is calling the World Cup for Fox in France. We had a podcast with best-selling author David Epstein, uh, the uh, famed uh, now CNN reporter Daniel Dale, who's a major Raptors fan. Sirit Sohi covers basketball for Yahoo Sports. Taylor Rooks, Jim Ross, uh, and just Adnan Verk. Jamel Hill, Rick Riley, Ron McLean. Again, head to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play. Um, check out the uh, archives. And again, if you like this stuff, the only way it stays is if you leave a review and hopefully a good rating. And uh, and that stuff matters to the head honchos at Cadence 13. All right, as always, my thanks to Chris Flannery. Um, thanks to everybody at Cadence 13. And we will be back next week on the Sports Media Podcast.